pray. Because I don't have a shot at this without the Holy Ghost. Jesus, let your way of life come. Let your will be done. Right here, right now, in this room, in our lives. Amen. Amen. Forty-ish years of following Jesus, and after every frustration and disappointment and harm and unanswered question and piece of confusion, I still believe that because Jesus lives, anything is possible in this room right now that every area of our life, given to, consented to, enslaved by sin or death, can be liberated, that we can experience freedom, that we can experience healing, and that every area of life can be restored because he lives because that's who Jesus is, because that's what Jesus does. Because when the writer of of Hebrews says he's the author and finisher of our faith, when the writer of Revelation says he's the alpha and omega, when the writer of the epistle says we go from glory to glory, it's a gospel, it's a news of life. And we're here to see, to hear, to experience, to receive the transformative power of that life. Are you with me? I do. I believe it. Anything can happen. Your body can be healed. Your brain can be rewired. That sin can be kicked to the curb of I'll never be enslaved to it again. The death that follows you, that you go to bed at night wishing that you'd never wake again, can go because of the power of the life of Jesus. Anything, anything is possible. And John is a gospel of life. And we've been in this series on John. We've been in it for a long time. We've got a whole lot more to go. And I love it that we're taking our time through it. And for the next several months, what's so amazing is we're essentially going to be in one week of the life of Jesus. And I want to submit to us as a way of framing the next few months of where we're going as a local expression of Christ's church here in this city is that This one week, not today, but this one week in the Gospel of John that we're reading through, that we're preaching through, that we're praying through, that our lives are being transformed through is the most significant week in human history. That no week in human history has influenced or impacted the world more than this week in the Gospel of John. We're here because of this week. 
You're watching online because of this week. You're following Jesus because of this week, or you're curious about Jesus because of this week, or you have a lot of questions about Jesus because of this week, or you think it's all fantasy, fan fiction, and you're mad about it, but it's because of this week. It's this week in the Gospel of John that we're here today and every day because of how Jesus reveals who God is, because of how Jesus conquers the powers of sin and death, because of how Jesus restores life. And so let's go there. You can turn to John chapter 12. And we're going to read through some verses. We're going to read through verses 19 to 33. Our theme this week is seed. So here we go. John 12, 19 to 22. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. I love that. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Such an important word. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is our word of the Lord. Amen. So what do you do when your life and the world entire is on fire? Plant a seed. Vineyards and gardens, life and not death. That's the gospel of John. And so if we go back to the beginning of this text, if it's okay, I know I'm supposed to have three points. That's a good preacher. I've got three sections of scripture. That's the best compromise I could make. I'm not good enough to do the three points in a thing. I don't even know what the thing is. So here we go. We're just going to talk through some of this, and I'm just going to trust that God is here and does something regardless. Amen? Because I'm a mess, but God, God's pretty good. 
All right. Then the Pharisees said one another, we're just going to read it again. You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I'm going to stop there. I love this. Look, the world has gone after him. John's doing something pretty important here. One, he's kind of alluding back to a whole bunch of messianic prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and how the whole world will go to the Messiah to learn the ways of God. In fact, what I want to do quickly is read Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And I think it's actually an important text that even as we enter Advent in a few weeks and as a framing for this week that we're in, because Jesus has inaugurated and is the fulfillment of this kingdom, of this way of life. And John is alluding to it uh, by saying the whole world is going after him. Because in Isaiah, Isaiah says this, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. See? The whole world has gone after him. God is going to lift up the new temple, Jesus, Remember at the end of this text, and Jesus is going to draw the whole world to himself. The whole world is going after him. John is going, do you see it? Are you paying attention to what's happening? This is being fulfilled in our time, reading on. Many, shall, many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. And so we see here the Greeks are coming to Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to learn the ways of Jesus. They want to learn the path of the Lord to walk on. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I love this. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many people. The judgment of the world is now at hand. John says that in this text. It's good news that Jesus is the judge of the world. We'll get there. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Important because Jesus comes in on a donkey. Remember this from last week, not on a war horse. There's a real intentional reason for that. Rob got into that. So the first thing that we see here is that John is alluding to the fulfillment of this and many other texts, prophetic texts in the Old Testament. If we flash forward, what we see here is the Greeks are coming to see Jesus. So you might remember Acts 10. Most of us are in this room because of Acts 10, that Gentiles came into the kingdom of God. That up until that point, it was mostly a Jewish religious sect that were following Jesus. And the spirit of God falls and blows the doors open to the whole world, to all nations, to all peoples. So this is good news for us, what's happening here. These are the seeds of Acts 10. These are the seeds of those first Christian missionaries. And we are reaping the harvest of that here and now, that those of us outside are now brought in near to Jesus. Amen? This is good news. And I love this line, there's nothing you can do. We get so anxious about the stuff that we think we need to do for Jesus. Jesus seems to be pretty good at doing things that no one can do anything to stop. And sometimes I wonder if we'd let go of our anxiety around the things we think we need to do for Jesus and just participate in the way of life of Jesus that we'd actually see the way of God's kingdom that no one can stop. Just a thought. This isn't a missiological talk, but I, I'm just, I just wonder. We get real anxious about making Jesus famous. Jesus, though, 
is real serious about inviting us into an intimate relational life. Because that's the place where we see the unstoppable, unshakable kingdom of God advancing into all places, all times, all peoples. And I love this. There's nothing anyone can do, right? Like not even what we're about to see here and not this week, but spoiler, I think we all know like the story of Jesus is that Jesus dies and is risen. And so what we're about to see here is that not even death, and this is the point, can hold Jesus. Death can't hold him, right? Like this is Song of Songs 8.6, that love is stronger than death. This is John 16.33, we'll get there in future weeks. Take heart, you will have trouble in this world, but I've overcome this world. This is Acts 2.24, that death could not hold him. This is what Peter says in his first message in the day of Pentecost, that death could not hold him. We did our worst. The world did its worst. The powers of sin and death did its worst. Killed God and death couldn't hold him. He was resurrected to life. Vindicated by the Father. And for us, this is Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not life, not death, not principalities, not powers, not angels, not demons, not plague or shipwreck, not supernatural or natural things. Nothing can separate you because nothing can stop Jesus from getting to you. Nothing can hold him back from you. Your sin can't, the the way of death can't, nothing is so powerful that it can keep Jesus getting to you or to me. Nothing. This is the gospel that wherever you find yourself enslaved to sin and death this morning, it can't hold God from getting to you. Your life isn't too dark that Jesus can't find you anywhere at any time. I promise you, Jesus can find you. We make the gospel so complicated, but I think the simplicity of it is so beautiful to me that however dark it is, the light of God can find you and heal you and restore you and rescue you and transform you. That sin and death can't hold you because it couldn't hold him. And some of us are here this morning because we've said yes to that way of life. And I want to invite those of you who have never said yes to that way of life to say yes to it this morning, to say yes to Jesus, to to say no to the way that sin enslaves you, that death has enslaved you, to say no to the life that you're living that you don't want, that you don't like, that's producing no fruit. You're miserable. And Jesus is here with the offer of life. I want to encourage you today, and there'll be people to pray for you, to go and get prayer, to say yes to, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I want people to follow Jesus. My invitation to you, wherever you are, is like, follow Jesus. I'm serious, 40 years into this, I don't have anything, follow Jesus, that's it, that's all I've got. Trust 
Jesus. All right, why has the world gone after him? They've gone after him because of who Jesus is, how Jesus has revealed himself to be to this point in the text. We've had all these signs up to this point. What are those signs doing? They're pointing to him. They're pointing to who he is, to what God is like. They're going after Jesus because of the character of who he is. They're going after Jesus because of what he's done, because he's not powerless. It's not an abstract philosophy. The gospel is the power of life given to you. Jesus isn't powerless to do the things that he says he can do, to be the things that he says that he is. It's the power to perform who he is and to do what he says he can do. We're, we're, we're after him because of what he can do and who he is, how he has lived. I think about just even the last few weeks, like who, the, how he's done it, like the beautiful, peaceable, like, subversive way that he comes in on a donkey. Like, it's just so beautiful. There's always people on war horses. You can go around our city, you'll find monuments with people on war horses. That's their glory. Jesus shows up on a donkey in a peaceable way to reveal who he is and what God is like. It's beautiful. How has he lived? He calls life from death. You remember his friend Lazarus? He calls life from death. He invites us into intimate friendship, doesn't he? Remember the woman that anoints him for his death. It's a call to intimate friendship with himself. The world is after him because of these things. And so the Greeks come and they say, we wish to see Jesus. And this is the question for us this morning. What are we here to see? Like, what do we want to see? What are we here to see? Someone with a microphone? Your friends? A beautiful building? Those are good things. But are you here to see Jesus? I think you are. Like, I think you get out of bed this morning because you're here to see Jesus. And I want you to know Jesus is here to see you. And this matters. I think we need eyes to see. Like, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. We think so much of the life of faith is about belief and about behavior. Jesus seems to think it's about perception. What do you see? What do you hear? So much of our behavior and belief, it's, it's actually the surface issue to a deeper issue. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus. All right, moving on. Let's go to the next slide. We've got some more verses. Is this okay? Are you with me? All right. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. I love this. So what's going on here? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As a quick reminder, up until this point, Jesus a lot of times is going, my hour hasn't come. We've got to pay attention because now he's going, my hour has come. In other words, I'm about to very clearly reveal to you why I'm here, what I'm doing, what all of this means, and what it means for you in the world. Again, we're entering into the most significant week in human history. It would be important for us to pay attention to all the things happening in the time frame called the hour has come. The hour has come. Jesus is revealing to us who he is, why he's here. He's about to reveal to us that he's come to conquer sin and death. He's about to reveal to us that he's come to restore life. And he's been signing, uh, he's been giving us signs pointing to these things, but we're, we're about now because of the cross to have the clearest revelation of those things that we've ever had. Like we're about to see a clear revelation of the glory of God. The New Testament writers, Hebrews, Colossians, right, they talk about this, that if you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. He's the clearest picture of what God is like that we have. God's like a lot of stuff, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have what God is like. Like, God is kind, but if we don't have Jesus, kindness falls short of what God is like. God is compassionate. I'm saying things I like. God is compassionate and tender. If we, don't have what Jesus, if we don't have Jesus, we don't know what God's compassion and tenderness is like. We need Jesus. I know the particularity of it makes some of my friends real mad, but I, I'm a Jesus person. Like, we need Jesus. And Jesus' glory, by the way, so here, here we go. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Caesar's glory is the war horse of victory. Jesus' glory is to be lifted up and crucified on a cross. The most shameful, embarrassing, we've defeated you death that someone especially like Jesus, who's like kind of viewed as this up-and-coming Messiah or revolutionary or whatever thing, or prophet, whatever thing people are, are saying about him, like, this is what the real powers do to those folks. They crucify them. As a way of saying, like, you lost. You don't have any power here. You are an embarrassment to your cause. This is how we would understand it if we were in that time in that place. And yet, on this side of it, what we know and understand is that God is going, no, the glory of God and the glory of my son Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people is tied to this moment of being high and lifted up on a cross, crucified to the death. Because it's this glory, this death on a cross, and the subsequent re resurrection as the risen and vindicated Savior King of all creation that, that is God's glory. 
And so the glory of God is most brightly displayed through this, through this death that we're about to read about in the coming weeks. And here's the thing. We are invited to share in that glory by dying with him. Right? By entering into this co-suffering, life-giving grace of God. Right? In one way, Jesus' willing consent to death is paradoxically his power over death and ours. So let's talk about this a little bit. Is that be okay? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it. So what's going on here? Jesus is telling us he's come to annihilate the powers of sin and death through the power of resurrection. That the way of Jesus in annihilating, in overcoming the powers of sin and death is to fall into the ground like a seed and trust God to vindicate it by rising it back up to life. The way we overcome sin and death in our life is to allow it with Christ to be crucified, to fall into the ground, and trust God to raise us to a whole new kind of life. That our life would be a garden and a vineyard of love. I like to think of it this way, right? Like, this is death in defiance of death. If you've seen the new Lord of the Rings show, has anyone seen it? I'm so glad it's out. I know there's a lot of controversy around if it's good or not. I'm glad it's out because we don't have to preach the original series anymore. We've got, we've got whole new images to preach. But there's this scene where the elves are about to go to battle and you see them planting a seed before battle. And they talk about how this is their tradition before they go to battle is that they plant a seed in defiance of death. And I wonder if we would live our lives in defiance of death by letting go of all the things that we're holding on to, to follow Christ into the grave, that we might be risen up with him to a garden of life. Death in defiance of death. There's some good news in this, that Jesus in dying and resurrecting has rendered death impermanent. That death can feel so permanent that it can feel like the period on the end of a sentence. Like that's it, done and dusted. But death has been rendered impermanent by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that death in your life is impermanent. Whether that be the way you are experiencing death in the here and now, impermanent. The way you are enslaved to death. Or whether you die as all of us are going to die. And then we get to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. My Eastern Orthodox friends say it like this. Because we've been baptized into Jesus' death, we're already living as though we're dead. And because we're already living as though we're dead, the only thing that's left is to be with Jesus face-to-face. -face. And this is the invitation for us, is to go down into death with Jesus, to live as though we're dead, that the only thing left for us is to see Jesus face-to-face. -face. That all the things that we're holding on to that we could let them go. To live a life with Jesus. Are you with me? The other piece of this good news is that life, not death, is the organizing principle 
of the world. What we would have had in this time really is an ontology of death. That like death is the organizing principle of the world. Like we're all going to die and that's going to be it. And in a lot of ways, that's where we find ourselves even in our own culture. That we just have an ontology of death. Like do your thing now. Get as much as you can now. Do as much as you can now. However you're defining that generationally in this room, we all have defined that in different ways and we all fight about it and people write books about it. But it's really about just do your thing as best you can because you're going to die. But Jesus is coming to say, no, death is not the beginning or the end. I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the alpha and omega. I am the beginning and the end. It's from glory to glory that you go from life to life. You were created with life in mind, and death doesn't have the final say that you will live and not die. Life is the organizing principle of the world. Life gets the final word. There's an incarnational piece to this. I love it. Athanasius, St. Athanasius said this. He became what we are, that we might become what he is. That in the incarnation of John, right, God puts on human flesh and becomes what we are subjects himself to death, then is risen to life so that we too might be risen to life. And so here's the deal. If we want to be liberated from the powers of sin and death over our lives, we're going to have to die to all the things in our lives that produce death and consent to God's freely given life-producing grace. And I could probably, I could name a bunch of stuff, and the New Testament isn't shy about naming a bunch of stuff that produces death. You know, hookup culture, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you know. So I did name something. (laughs) And it's producing death in your life. And it's not satisfying. And it's not who you are or what you want or what you're longing for. It's actually not even the primary driver of the desire that you think's being met. And I've got no shame to dish out about it, just an invitation to let it die so that you can receive the life-giving grace of God, live as the image bearer of God that you are, that every desire in your life would be met in covenant with God. And you will find a satisfaction within that that blows your mind. And that's not the only place that we have things in our life that are producing death and need to die. And the New Testament names some other ones too. I think like maybe gossip. You could let that one die. It's probably killing your house church. It's killing your friend group. It's killing your family. It's not solving anything. It's not healing anything. It's not bringing life to any area. Maybe there's some kind of temporary release or satisfaction in there somewhere, a sense of feeling powerful or whatever it is that you feel, but... We know it's producing death. 
Could we die to that? And some of you are thinking those two things are other people. And so my question to you is, are you brave enough to ask the Holy Spirit what your thing is? So that wasn't my intent. I don't want to pick on people's sins because typically what we do is we start pointing the finger at other people and thinking about how they need to get over their stuff without ever being brave enough to ask God where we need to die. Because we don't like to die. We're death avoidant. Other people need to die. It makes us feel powerful when we can tell other people they need to die and avoid where we need to die. Which is producing death. Which is why we should (laughs) remove the plank from your own eye and deal with your own junk. And we all have junk. I have stuff I need to deal with. You have stuff you need to deal with. Death is doing its thing in our life. And we need to get free from that stuff. And the invitation actually is that we can be free from that stuff, like really free from that stuff. Here's the thing what I know also. 40-ish years of following Jesus. There's some stuff I did 20 years ago that I don't even entertain anymore. And I don't say that because like, I'm, I'm not awesome, actually. What I'm, what I'm saying is that God is that good, that there's stuff that you think you can't ever get free from or ever let go of, that it will always be an issue in your life. It will always be a tension. It will always be a struggle. It will always be your thing. And maybe there are some things that are, and grace to you if there's some things that you've been doing everything you know how to do, And you still can't get free. I love that verse in Ephesians. It was one of my mom's favorite verses. After having done everything we know to do to stand. Stand. And if that's where you are, grace to you, bless you, God loves you. There's no shame. Just stand in the promise of God without losing hope. And even when you lose hope, get some friends that will hope for you. But there's some stuff in our life that we can be free from. And will be free from. And it won't always be the thing. And will we let it go? Will we let it die? Will we bury it in the ground? This is what our baptism is. You're dunked into the waters of death. The old you dies. Behold, Jesus says this. Behold, I make all things new. We're risen to new life. All right, I'm over my time and I got a bunch of stuff, so I'm going to land here. I have some good stuff on my notes, too, I think. But here, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to frame this and then the band can come. When we talk about dying to ourselves, so often what we do is we start to ask the question, how much can I get away with? Right? Have y'all ever had this conversation? How far is too far? Come on. Some of y'all are still having that conversation. Still trying to figure it out. It's okay. I'm not going there. But we do that with our whole life. How far is too far? Here's what I want us to do, though, when we're dying to stuff. Because this is the invitation of Jesus. How close to Jesus can you get? How much of Jesus do you want to have in your life? How much intimacy with Jesus do you want? How much life do you want? This is the invitation. It's not actually about death at all. It's about the intimate life of God that we can have in relationship to Jesus. 
as we sever ourselves from the power of sin and death and live in the rhythms of God's grace. And so this would be the question I would want us to leave with is, is not, hey, how much do I have, like, can I just hold on to? But what if the real question was like, how close would Jesus let me get to him? And would we let go of anything to have that closeness and that intimacy? And it's different for all of us. That's why I'm hesitant to name things. Like, there are some things that y'all need to let go of, that I don't need to let go of, and that I need to let go of, that you need, don't need to let go of, because Jesus is inviting us to a relationship of intimacy. But I want to be close to Jesus. The band can come. You can put up this last slide. I just want to read this last part of the text. And land this as the band is coming. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. And actually the ministry team, if you guys want to go to the south wing, we're just going to pray for some folks here in a minute. But I want to land here because, because it says, Jesus, now is the judgment of the world. And this, this is all I want to say about this. Here is Jesus' judgment over you and me and our lives in the world. Here it is. Jesus' judgment is rescue. Sin is forgiven. Death is conquered. Grace is given. Life is restored. That's God's judgment over your life. This is what God has to say about your life. This is why it's good news that God is the judge and I'm not and anyone else isn't and the ruler of this world isn't because shame isn't your judge and guilt isn't your judge and punishment isn't your judge and torment isn't your judge and the things that you're dealing with that you can't get free from isn't the judgment of God over your life. The judgment of God over your life is that you can be liberated from the power of sin and death. It's called rescue. I've come to save the world. Your sin is forgiven. Freely forgiven. You didn't have to earn it and God's arm didn't need to be twisted to do it. The cross is about revealing the forgiveness of God, not earning the forgiveness of God. Forgiveness is freely given. Death is conquered anywhere in your life where you are enslaved to the power of death. There's freedom for you. Grace is given the power of God to live a godly life. That's what grace is. It's the power of God to live the life God has called you to live, a godly life, and your life is restored. And so if you've seen or heard, if you've seen Jesus or heard a voice from heaven this morning, I really would, I'd want you to respond. I'd want you to go get some prayer over here in the South Wing. They're waving hands. They will pray for you. And the power of God will be there. The presence of God will be there. Your life will change there. And so first I want to say, if you're here and you've never said yes to following Jesus, 
I want you as we're singing to get up and to go and to go tell someone, I wanna give my life to Jesus this morning. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna go from death to life. I wanna change my mind. That's just the easy way to say repent, right? I wanna just change my mind about the way I'm living, about the life that I have, about the things that I value. I've experienced something of Jesus this morning and you wanna say yes to Jesus, they will pray for you and you will meet Jesus in a powerful way. I wanna talk to those of us who've said yes to Jesus and you're here and you can't get free from an area of sin or death in your life. Go get prayer, go confess it, go get prayer. And let's see if God will liberate you today. I believe the power of God through the power of prayer liberates God's people to live godly lives. Go get prayer this morning. And finally, I wanna, just wanna call to those of you, nothing I said made any sense. I'm so okay with that. But you came here to see Jesus. You didn't see Jesus in anything I said, but you came here to see Jesus. And maybe you're even feeling a little disappointed. Like I got out of bed to meet Jesus today. Go get prayer. Go get prayer. Not because of what I've said or what we've sung or how people greeted you in here in the morning, but because you're desperate to see Jesus. That's why you're here. Go get prayer. So Jesus, open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you've brought us out of death and into life. We thank you that you've set us free from the powers of sin and death, that we can live in the power of grace and truth and life. Amen.